This is episode 103 of Offscript with Trish Close. Intimate interviews and fun conversations with interesting people. And joining me today via Skype from across the globe, I should say, is Olivia DeRamus. <laughs> Hi, Olivia. Hi. Yeah, you're joining us via Skype in the UK, correct? I live in London currently. Yes, you call yourself an American runaway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Mm -hmm. um, you're the founder of Restless Network, which is really a place, an online magazine, all, f all for women, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, anyone who identifies as a woman, non-binary folks as well. Um, looking on online, I just wanted to read this really quick. Uh, welcome to the Restless Network. We're on a mission to amplify women's voices and empower through information and connection. We create content, build communities, and spark connections through storytelling. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, and you, you started this really, and we're going to get to it. Um, we're going to talk a lot about it, actually. You started this essentially because you were feeling restless because of things that happened to you, and you just said, enough's enough. Here we go. Yeah, absolutely. It was definitely more of an experiment at first, and uh, surprisingly, it really caught on and has really developed into this really great business that I'm really excited about. I'm super excited about it, too. I think it's amazing. Um, let's start from the beginning, though. Where are you from originally? So I'm originally from Washington, D.C., uh, and then before moving to London, uh, I went to university in L.A. Okay. Um, what was it like growing up in Washington, D.C.? Oh, yeah, it was interesting. Definitely. Uh, Washington is a lot uh, less um, exciting than a lot of people would think. Um, but it was cool. You know, I, I was in high school right when Obama was 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 coming around. And it was, you know, especially looking back on it now with who we have in power now, it's really it's a nostalgic was a nostalgic time, I guess. <laughs> I'm sure. Did you grow up with siblings? Yeah, I have a younger brother. Um, and yeah, we just really were brought, DC is a very political town, I guess. I, yeah. I think that if you grow up there, your, your, your dinner table conversations are all around politics. And even, you know, even if you're all Democrats, there's always something to disagree on. So, of course. um, yeah, I would say it really teaches you at a young age to be very politically engaged and oh. all that kind of stuff. Sure. What'd your parents do? Oh, uh, so my dad is an economic consultant. My mom is a homemaker. Okay, so mom stayed at home and, I mean, because I don't, honestly, I don't know anyone who's from D.C. Like, I don't know anyone who's <laughs> like, yeah, I'm from Washington, D.C. I don't think I've ever met anyone who, who actually lived in the city, right? I mean, it, it happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we originally lived in Mount Pleasant, um, which is a very cool neighborhood. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of really awesome cultural stuff going around there. Um, but then we, we did sell out. We moved to the suburbs. At some point, <laughs> we went to Bethesda. Shame of my life. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it really ruins my street cred, but it's okay. No, I, I don't think so. Not a sellout. Um, and then you end up going to school where in LA? I went to Pitzer College. Okay. What was the reasoning for, I mean, that's all the way across the country, obviously. Were you just looking to get out? Yeah, I was just excited to get into the sunshine. I didn't really... I mean, to be honest with you, my high school experience wasn't awesome, and I really felt a little bit ostracized, and I really just wanted a really fresh start somewhere extremely different. I would have gone to school abroad originally if I could have, but that was a little bit too much at, at 18. <laughs> uh, why was high school not fun? Did you just not fit in? Like, 
Yeah, yeah, I just didn't fit in. You know, there was a lot of bullying going on and, you know, I changed schools at one point and I, I don't know, I was always very shy and I think that shy, puberty, um, cheerleading, it's just not a good mix. Yeah. <laughs> it just, you know, I think that high school can be definitely very toxic and I think, yeah, I mean, even at that young age, I was already feeling restless and I think... Um, I was just really excited to, you know, find a place where I could be myself and not really worry about what the football players thought of me that day or or whether or not the head cheerleader thought I was cool enough and mm -hmm. all of that good stuff, you know. I've always said, I think middle school, honestly, is incredibly tough and it's you're going through such a weird time within your body anyways. And then you're surrounded by these kids who are, I mean, you're being judged all the time. And then high school, it can be a continuation of that. Yeah, definitely. And sorry, it's a little awkward for me. I've, I mean, I've never actually talked about that side of part of my life publicly before. Um, but yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty, it was pretty tough. And I, I think it, um, it, you know, when you're already shy, it definitely makes you like, you know, revert a little bit into yourself. So, um, mm -hmm. and I mean, fast forwarding to restless really quickly that's really restless was my the first time I actually expressed myself and it was through other people and it was always it's always kind of it was really my entry into self-expression through in a, in a way that was safer than kind of putting my neck out there and I think actually looking back you know high school was definitely one of the reasons why I never really felt like I could really step out on my own in in that kind of way sure yeah I mean it it, it molds you for sure, like going through those years where it is tough and you have certain feelings where even if you do fit in, I mean, I just feel like it's such a tumultuous time. And then a lot of, you know, teenagers, that's why they want to break loose, right? Because it's like you go create your own identity at that point. Yeah, absolutely. And funnily enough, I think that's why we have so many high schoolers starting to really um, log on to the Restless app, which is not something that I expected at all. But um, I think I'm, I'm surprised to see, you know, how many different people of different ages um, really identify with, with this, that kind of sentiment. For sure. So when you left to go to college, was it that idea like, I want to get out of here? I want to, you know, I, I want to not really change who you are, but you, no one knows you, right? Like no one, when you step yeah. foot on that campus, no one knows who you are. So you can really be anyone at that point. Yeah, definitely. And, and that was really freeing. And, um, and it was definitely not something that I hadn't really experienced before. Um, and I think that's kind of a, I think when that happens for anybody, that's really a, a gift. So I definitely was, was very happy um, for a, a long time with that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, when you went to school, what were you looking to do? Like, what was your major? Did you have one or you were just kind of floating? Oh, uh, I went to the coolest school. You could make your own major. It was so like hippy dippy liberals. <laughs> awesome. And so like back in the day, you know, I'm the right old age of 24. I'm really not <laughs> old at all. Um, back in the day at 18, I really um, wanted to work in nonprofits. I really just wanted to help people. And really my ambition has always kind of circled around that. I was never, never really cared what that would look like. It's just, I just wanted to, you know, I think everyone has that kind of like crisis of faith. Like, why am I here? What is my future going to look like? And I, I really felt that if I at least had a positive impact, then whatever my future looked like, it would be okay because there would be a point. 
Um, and so, you know, I really kind of followed in my, um, my mom's footsteps actually, cause she, she worked in the Peace Corps for a long time. Um, before, you know, raising me and my brother. And, and so, yeah, I was, I was thinking I was going to be living abroad my whole life. And I really wanted to, you know, work out in the field and, and do kind of, um, women's justice type work. So yeah, it was great. I, I don't even remember what I named my major something really stupid. I don't actually remember what it was, but I ended up graduating with a degree in international relations, but at first it was something really ridiculous. <laughs> I'm sure. That's all right. I think when you look back at, at 18, 19, right, we did some really stupid stuff, like really, really yeah. dumb, but yeah, okay. for sure. <laughs> live and learn. And it's funny that you say that because you're kind of doing that now, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I really never aspired to be in media. Um, you know, I, really what's kind of always interested in being behind the scenes, you know, my previous jobs and the work experience I had during university was all in fundraising and, and that kind of stuff. So this was really not in the cards at all. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I've never, I don't think I'm not, I'm not naturally, uh, the type of person who's comfortable in the spotlight. So yeah, it's, it's definitely a surprise, um, for Whoops. sure. The one that I'm still getting used to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're in the spotlight, girl. I mean, your story is, you know, and I'm not saying that you put yourself in the spotlight, but because of the things that happened to you, you are definitely in the spotlight in the best way, though, in the best way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, when you're sexually assaulted and um, also you have the ability to speak about that to be uh, taken away from you for so many years, I mean, even to the point where, you know, telling my friends um, would have put them in danger of being drawn into this really litigious and horrible lawsuit. Or, you know, the fact that I I couldn't even tell my, um, you know, I couldn't even confide in a, in a mental health professional because that could be have used against me in court. I couldn't even, you know, I couldn't even write in a journal because I would have to give that to the, to the court. So I really, for a number of years, lost, lost um, my ability to express myself. And and it was really funny because that's not something that not, it's not something that I ever felt was all that important to me before I lost it. And then the moment I lost it, I realized, you know, what a privilege it is to be able to just turn to someone and tell them the truth about how you're feeling and, and what you're experiencing. So dude, that's how I think I really learned the hard. Yeah. And I really learned the hard way that, you know, freedom of speech is not the God given right that I thought it was in, in, in America. And that was a really tough lesson to learn for sure. I bet. Well, let's go back. You're 19. You're mm -hmm. living your best life in college. Um, what happened? Right. So, um, I was a university student and I was, uh, sexually assaulted. Um, that kind of the details of which, you know, it's, to be honest, it's really painful to recount. Um, the, the bottom line though, the big story that, you know, I'm really trying to get across to people is that I reported my sexual assaulter and though I was found in the right twice, there were two, you know, university tribunal hearings. Um, my assaulter sued me simply for reporting him um, and for millions of dollars under the claims of um, defamation. And, um, you know, these kinds of lawsuits, they last for a very long time. 
are incredibly expensive. It's incredibly expensive to defend yourself. You know, I probably spent upwards of $100,000 defending myself over, you know, a period of three or so years, maybe more. And, you know, the reason why women don't know that this can happen to you is because it's such an effective way of, of silencing women. Most most people cannot afford that kind of cost simply to, you know, speak just, I mean, really like what ended up coming down, I mean, you know, a lot of it was very confusing to me, but what it really came, came down to it in terms of the lawsuit itself was um, the period after, you know, I had gotten away from my assaulter um, and I told my friends immediately after. And so while everything that I said in the university hearings was protected speech that, that th those like five minutes right after the assault, uh, you know, those minutes where everyone tells you, you should tell someone like, that's what you're supposed to do. You know, I did what they told us to do and I got sued for it. And no one knows that can happen to you. And I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to talk about this to scare people away from reporting, but I think to be able to make, a decision that's right for you when addressing your sexual assault, you know, and being able to move forward and healing and, and claim justice for yourself, you know, you should be able to have all of the facts. And I certainly didn't have all of the facts. And um, to be honest, I also don't think that women who are surviving, you know, traumatic incidents like this should have to go through something like that simply for doing what the government and our universities tell us to do. Yeah. Well, you're the victim. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it kind of the reasoning was that, I guess, by being suspended for a year, I was ruining his life, which is not true at all. But yeah. um, there yeah. clearly there are a lot of really great areas and a lot of really loop um, a lot of loopholes in our legal system that really allow you know wealthy wealthy men to to use it in their favor. So why were there two hearings at the university? So he also sued the school. Okay. <laughs> what a champ. Um, busy. <laughs> so he, yeah, right. So he sued the school um, after the first hearing in which I was on the right. Um, it was because, you know, I that first hearing took so long. They dragged it out as long as possible. I mean, I don't I'm hesitant to say like a specific timeline, but maybe like a year. I mean, it was it took forever. Like by the time it by the time the 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 first hearing was happening. I wasn't even at that university at, you know, my old university. Um, and so I, you know, I, I, you know, gave all the information I was, I was ready to, um, you know, answer any questions in the hearing, but to be honest, um, I felt very afraid to be in the same room with him. Sure. Um, you know, there were, you know, incidents that made me feel, yeah, I just, I felt unsafe. And so I really didn't want to be in the same room. And so I didn't, um, uh, attend the hearing, which I yet, but you know, I, I given all the information. And so the, and this kind of goes to kind of like a, a wider issue being discussed right now in like the national debate. It was like whether or not, um, assaulters should be allowed to like cross examine, um, their victims within university tribunals, you know, not actually in court. It's this very weird, um, there's a very weird dynamic that I, you know, unfortunately, came across before it really became talked about in the common um, media space. Um, it was all kind of, I, I think I was the guinea pig of um, 
a, a bunch of really unfortunate gray areas when it comes to the university system and, and the legal system. Yeah. Um, sorry if I was super <laughs> uh, unconcise, but it's, it's, yeah, it's an, it's a difficult issue to explain, I think. Well, and I, I know just talking with other victims, you have to rehash and mm -hmm. talk about again and go over the details again and rehash it. And it's like over and over and over, even though you've already sort of spilled your guts on what happened. And that takes a toll on your mental health. Yeah, it's it's definitely really emotionally traumatic. And, you know, I can't, you know, I can't express enough how difficult it is to, um, you know, at every at every stage. I mean, it really it really upsets me when people say that, you know, women report for attention because it's really just every stage of reporting is traumatic. There's nothing mm -hmm. fun about it. There's nothing helpful about it. Um, you really don't. I don't. I think you know. Unfortunately, I don't think that there are any really good choices right now um, as a survivor of assault. Um, I think you know whether or not you report to the police or the university. You know, both of those options come with. Uh, a bunch of um, systemic failures that you're really taking the brunt of. Right. And so this lawsuit lasts, you, what, I think you said like three, four years, this lawsuit against yeah, you? The majority of my adult life. Um, and so, you know, I think, and earlier we talked about how, you know, I, when I left high school, I moved to California. I was so excited. It was my first start. I was so happy where I was. I was so happy. And I was finally living this life that I really wanted. And all of a sudden it was like my uh, growth was just slammed to a halt because of this horrible thing that this guy had done to me, um, you know, a crime. And, but I couldn't, even after I had found, been found in the right, even after all of those things, he, he wouldn't let me go. It's like the abuse kept happening. And it's, it's very difficult to get good grades in your exams. It's very difficult to, you know, date, it's very difficult to function. to function, function. Yeah. And so for many years, I, it was it was very hard just to kind of live day to day. I um, <clears throat> yeah, I just and, and also because with with kind of my specific experience, but I think that so many women who experience sexual assault and, and all of these, you know, really negative experiences afterwards, there really aren't a lot of resources for women. Um, who go through these kinds of things. And, and you know, you it's very intimidating to go into, you know, um, a support group. And someone like myself, I couldn't go to a support group because anything that I said to anyone could have draw, drawn them into a really, you know, horrible situation. Um, so I, I, I essentially disappeared um, from a lot of people's lives because if I had stayed and they they wouldn't they they really wouldn't have been safe around me because of of this person who was very much using the law to um, harass me um, in a very effective way. Mm -hmm. Right. So not only are you dealing with all of this trauma from being sexually assaulted and now having to go through a lawsuit, you can't talk to anyone about it. You're kind of isolating yourself. I mean, that's just infuriating. I'm a I'm a journal writer. Um, anytime I'm going through something incredibly difficult. I can write a few pages in my journal and I feel like a new person. So I can't even imagine the fact that you couldn't record any of this happening to you and how you're feeling inside because that's going to be used against you, potentially. Yeah. Even text messages, I had to give the core um, any, you know, Facebook messages that, you know, I had with friends or after the incident or after. Um, 
And especially when they were given access to my medical records, that was a huge breach of my privacy and honestly, totally unnecessary. Um, and actually, the appeals court in California um, denied denied them that um, that request. However, my, the judge that I had actually ignored the appeals court's decision. And um, as it, it's actually not that easy to hold your your own judge accountable, even if they're going against the actions of, of the higher court. And um, I hope I'm explaining this right. Again, I'm not a lawyer, but um, it was very, it was very, um, it, it felt like to exist in any way was wrong. And that was really the message I was, I was receiving for many years and at a really, you know, pivotal time in my life. Sure. And so, yeah, it's definitely been, um, yeah, it, I, I don't think that I emerged from that experience having a high self-esteem or in any way feeling um, confident. I don't think that's possible. Right. Well, <laughs> Olivia, it sounds like a shit show, to be honest. Mm -hmm. That's the best way to, to put it, um, especially, you know, even just trying to explain all of the details sure. and everything that happened, even though I, you know, I experienced it. There were so many crazy things that happened and so many weird things that happened and the legal system is so complicated that it's, it's it's very difficult even explaining it to people now that I can talk about it in general terms um, in a way that really like reflects what that, everything that happened. Um, and, you know, I, I can't go into specifics, um, but I'm still very lucky that I can even talk about it at all. Most people who experience something like this, you know, I'm, I'm a very privileged person that I can, you know, sit here and talk to you about this um, because most people who experience this will never be able to talk about it at all. Um, even in general terms, they're, you know, backed into signing NDAs. Um, and um, it that's actually at the heart of why no one really knows this can happen to you. Um, so I'm one of very few people who can talk about this. Uh, and, and I feel very lucky. Um, and really, the only reason why I can do that is because, you know, I, I was very lucky enough to have the funds to protect myself. But if you don't have the funds to protect yourself, you know, um, you're out of luck. I mean, the government doesn't, they're really, and in civil court, you know, you don't have an assigned lawyer. If you don't have legal representation, you know, it's a default judgment and that can really harm, harm, harm you for sure. And then I just think about all of the young girls, just let's just say who are in college right now that this has happened to or happening to, and they don't say a word about it. Yeah, exactly. And I also, I, I've been so conflicted in terms of coming forward about this issue because I'm not here trying to scare people away from reporting their assault. I think it's really important to hold assaulters accountable. It's more that the system that we have right now is incredibly flawed. And, you know, with these new changes to Title IX, um, with the Trump administration, it's only going to get worse. And there's this perception that, you know, because of the Me Too movement, things are better now. But... I honestly really don't think they are, especially for everyday women. Mm -hmm. What happened? What was the outcome of the lawsuit? Um, I can't get into details there, unfortunately. Um, again, like I really have to stick to general terms, but, you know, I can talk about it generally. And that was really what I what I needed. I mean, yeah, I mean. Yeah, I'm going to have to just keep keep with that statement. Sorry. OK, did you find, though, when the lawsuit was said and done, did you feel a sense of relief at all? Or I mean, it was, yeah, it, I I felt relief, but I 
I felt very, and I still feel very sad for the, I feel, I felt a lot of grief, you know, um, for a lot of things, for a lot of people that, you know, I had to distance myself from. And it's, it's very difficult because, you know, a lot of people still don't really know the full story or, you know, I think I remember getting messages from people and I'd never be able to respond. So I think I'm still, you know, it's only been, a, I think, a, a little over a year since it ended. And wow, this is so embarrassing that I'm crying. Um, but I think I'm still processing it, to be honest. And um, it's really just, I keep laughing at myself that I started a business <laughs> while still healing from this kind of actually quite traumatic incident. So it's definitely been a whirlwind. And I I think Restless has really been kind of what's gotten me back on my feet in terms of recovering and moving past it because I really needed, you know, something positive to focus on. But I think it will still be a while until I'm kind of fully recovered from from that from those years of harassment. Yeah. Um, a thousand percent. They definitely have a huge, yeah, a huge impact. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you and you say you felt relief and sadness, obviously, and I can't imagine people reaching out to you to see how you're doing and you you can't respond to those people. I that breaks yeah. my heart. That breaks my heart. Did you Yeah. Did you find too within those emotions that you were just pissed off? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> but, but I, oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think actually I think you know, a lot of people will probably recognize this is that after a long, if you if you're kind of going through something for a long time, it, it kind of you can't it, being angry is really exhausting, mm. <laughs> and, and you kind of move from being angry. Like I was angry in the first year, and then every year after that, I was just I felt really sad. I felt really defeated, and um, it took a long time. And I, honestly, like I think that restless has been really like my savior in terms of getting creative and how to feel empowered again and how to feel okay again. Cause I really, I kept waiting for the legal system to defend me, to stand up and tell them, Hey, she's telling the truth. She's done nothing wrong. You can't do this. This is, this is, I thought it should, I mean, why isn't it unlawful? It should be unlawful. Right. right. But it, apparently it's not. So when I realized that, you know, cause I kept waiting and, and when I realized that I had to stop waiting for that to happen, you know, I, um, I really had to think hard about, okay, well, I need to do something because I can't go on feeling like this. And I felt that, okay, I can't tell my story. I can't tell people what's going on with me, but maybe I can speak through, you know, publishing other people's voices and platforming other women's stories um, that are along similar veins or, or talking about other difficult issues. And so, you know, publishing these women's stories was really a way for me to speak while not being able to speak. Um, and 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 building that really helped me um, kind of feel like I, I was expressing myself even indirectly. And, and that was really powerful after many years of just having zero options to do that. So in the months before Restless Network is born, and, and what? how old are you at this point? Like right as you create Restless? 23. 23. Damn, Gina, that's young. Um, so you're 23 years old and you said you were finding yourself restless, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so while this was all going on, I, I, I moved to London. I, I transferred universities. I really felt unsafe 
Um, I, I felt like if I, I had this thing in my head and, and this is totally illogical about the time I, I really thought, okay, I need to get as far away from this place as possible. I, I need to go somewhere really different because I, I don't want this ever to happen to me again. You know, I just wanted to go some, and to me as if I went someplace as different as I could make it, then there would somehow be a chance of that not happening again, which obviously is not true. Every country have their, have their problems with sexual assault. But for me, that was my coping mechanism. Uh, and it was very helpful mm -hmm. because, um, you know, at, at least then I had my my barrier. If I I was all the way over here, if I turned off my phone, no one could, hey. no no nasty lawyer could get to me. Right? I get so. it. I get it. Is that but is that essentially all of this stuff? Is that kind of why you ran away? Is that how you look? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I, I you know I think I was always kind of a to be cheesy a restless person. I always <laughs> liked going on adventures and that kind of thing. But I think um you know I. You know, there are some problems that you can't run away from, but there are certain problems that running away makes it better and protects yourself to a certain extent. And this was certainly one of them. Um, so, yeah, I, and I and I think that, you know, I have to acknowledge also that I, I have a lot of privilege in the fact that I had the ability to do that. I know that most women who go through something th like this are kind of stuck at their universities or are probably forced to drop out of of school entirely. And, and that's certainly something that actually people many people advise me to just drop out of school um, and move home, um, which I think is, you know, that's for that to be the first reaction of a university official uh, uh, in terms of advice. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's actually kind of kind of shitty. Am I allowed to swear on here? <laughs> Sorry. You just did. It's um, fine. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that um, Sometimes I think that sometimes you want to feel safe, but also sometimes feeling safe require again after something like this requires a totally different situation. Mm -hmm. um, and so like I was lucky enough to be able to to create that. So you're 23 and I just this just occurred to me and I don't want to put like a Debbie Downer thing on it. You've had all this stuff happen to you. This is supposed to be like the best time in a young person's life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 18 to, 18 to 23, those were some of my best times. And I just said, you know, I know if when you, especially when you go off to college, this is supposed to be kind of the highlight. And instead, you were dealing with all of this crap. Yeah, absolutely. And, but I, I do have to say that I think that when you're dealing with stuff like this, and, and this is something that I was very lucky in being able to do is, you know, carving out moments of joy for yourself is really important. And I was certainly able to do that. You know, I had a lot of really cool jobs abroad. And, you know, I got to, you know, do, you know, women's justice work in Brazil. I was, I, I had some really cool adventures and, you know, not, and I remember being very lonely um, for a lot of the time, but I also remember getting to go out dancing and getting to learn new languages. And, you know, those are, you can still find moments of joy even while going through difficult things in your life. But I, yeah, I, I do, I, I remember being kind of, kind of envious of, of other, of uh, other people, especially I think it would have had, to be honest, I think really not being able to talk about it, even in just like a one-on-one -on -one private conversation was kind of the main thing for me that was, that was pretty difficult because, you know, I was trying to make new friends over here, but I was, I had to kind of withhold the truth of my reality and, and that, and that was definitely, yeah, it kind of, it, it wasn't great, but yeah. you know, I, 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 I will say that I think, you know, you can always find 
moments of joy. Um, and I think that's something that's really important to focus on when going through, you know, difficult situations for sure. Uh, tequila helps too. Yeah, I love tequila. I think that's in our about page or something. Same. Yeah, I'm, I'm a tequila fan as well. Um, well, let's get to Restless then. And I'm really curious, uh, That was it in a light bulb moment? Was it an aha moment? Was it something that happened gradually? Or were you just like, yes, this is what I'm going to do? Well, Restless as it stands today, you know, the media platform, the editorial site, and the app are <laughs> light years away from what I was thinking when I first thought of the idea. Right. Um, you know, it's been a year and, and we're already at this kind of crazy level. But when I first was thinking about it, it was really just, okay, you know, none of these mainstream media publications are answering my questions, are, um, you know, telling the stories that I know are out there. You know, I wanted to know how to tell my parents that I was sexually assaulted. I wanted to know, you know, all of these things that I, I think that a lot of media platforms are kind of intimidated to cover. And, you know, it's not, it's, you know, you just got to register a, a domain name and, and put some feelers out there. So it was very, you know, it's, it was very like bare bones. It's still pretty, pretty bare bones. I'm, I'm the only full-time uh, person at Restless. <laughs> and, um, you know, there are a lot of really cool freelancers who have contributed over this past year. And I mean, so many people and, um, it really kind of snowballed. And so <laughs> Restless today is, is, was certainly not this huge plan that I had going, going into it. It's just, it's just kind of really evolved from, you know, where I keep noticing like women, women are needing different things and kind of trying to create a product that, is actually helpful to women. And and that's really kind of my main thing is, you know, how can Restless be helpful to women? And, and if there is someone going through something that I went through, you know, how can Restless help? Because um, I really I really needed to make something positive um, come out of it. And I just, and now I have some pretty big dreams for it. I'm not gonna lie to you. So yeah, it's exciting stuff. <laughs> no, don't lie, don't lie and keep going. Um, did you, at the in the very beginning, were you reaching out to certain writers or were there certain people that you were like, hey, can you you know, offer up an article? Like, how did that work? Yeah, I mean, I was, I created a Twitter account. <laughs> I was so afraid of Twitter, oh my God. <laughs> you know, I just put out a call for pitches on Twitter. I literally had no idea what I was doing. It's oh. so funny. I still really don't really know what I'm doing, um, <laughs> to be honest it's... with you. But yeah, people just reached out and it was, it was really interesting actually to see how many people were kind of like waiting to have a platform where they could just talk about what was going on with them and their experiences and in a really honest way um, without, you know, being like overly edited and, and, and kind of things like that. I, for me, I really like to like let the writers and whoever writes for us kind of shape their narrative. I'm not interested in, in, um, you know, in, it's not about me. It's really about what, you know, the different writers who contribute want to say. Sure. And I can only imagine, I mean, when you're reading these articles, there is no better feeling than when someone tells a story and you go, oh my gosh, me too. And yeah. then boom, you have a connection and you don't feel alone. There's someone else out there who went through the exact same thing. And it's like, then I felt this and I felt this and you're going, oh my gosh, me too, me too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that really kind of feeds into the idea that I really wanted Restless to be a way for women to connect with each other. Um, and so, you know, as we 
um, kept going along and I, and I realized there were all of these conversations happening as a result of these articles that we were publishing, but there weren't really, you know, anywhere that great to actually hold these conversations, especially, you know, cause we do cover some tough topics and, you know, no one really wants to talk about their mental health, uh, on an Instagram comment, um, where, you know, there are all these trolls ready to eviscerate you. And that's actually kind of the inspiration for why we created the app is that we really wanted to also like have a way to foster these conversations that were already really organically happening. Right. I mean, there's articles on there about uh, sexual climax, right? I can't imagine for a lot of these women who have been sexually assaulted, getting back a, a healthy sex life has to be incredibly difficult. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing about topics like that is that they're incredibly nuanced and everyone has um, a different healing process. Everyone has a different experience. You know, some survivors um, actually get out back into the dating world fairly quickly. Some survivors don't feel comfortable with that. And so it's really important, I think, that when we do cover these topics that they're told by people who have personal experience with that. And I think that's kind of really the you know, you don't need a lot of a lot of money or a huge team to do that. You you really just need to have, you know, authentic voices and prioritize the people who who know what it's like um, in terms of writing those stories. One thousand percent. So you have this this online magazine. Are you getting good feedback as it's growing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's really it's really nice to see, you know, all of the really great comments and everything like that. Um, it's been interesting for sure. I think that with women's media, it is always a challenge to be taken seriously. Um, and, you know, since we started Restless, I've really kind of been trying to educate myself in terms of like the broader broader media landscape, because again, I had no idea what I was walking into when I first started it. And just, you know, everything from, oh, well, it's a woman's magazine, so they couldn't possibly cover topics, um, you know, legitimately. And that's, I think, kind of our, our main roadblock in that, you know, we are discussing tough topics and we are discussing them well and reliably. And I think kind of that's our one challenge in terms of constantly coming up against that, you know, perception of that all women's media um, platforms faces. But the important thing is that the women who are reading them, they're who we're talking to. We're not too concerned with what, you know, the other media elite right. thinks about us. Exactly. Well, <laughs> yeah, I found too. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Please finish. Oh, no. I mean, just really as long as we have a positive impact on women is really what I care about. I'm, I'm not too concerned about um, what, you know, maybe people, you know, at our competitors think or, or, th or things like that. Right. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's about the the one, the people who are reading these articles on, on Restless. I've also found, too, mm -hmm. when you lay it all out there, when you just sort of put everything out on the table, it's it, I find it hard to nitpick. Right. Like if especially that's this is why I started this podcast. They're not edited. It's long form. I don't take anything out of it. So you can't go back and go, well, what do you mean by that? Well, she meant that because she said it, you know, she said it right here in front of the microphone. So that's what this person meant. And I, I have found that in some of the articles that I've read on Restless, you're putting it all out there on the table and you can't, it's hard to go back and go, well, wait, what? I mean, it's, it's all out there right in front of you. Here you go. Yeah, absolutely. And I just think it's really important 
for there to be a, a large amount of transparency mm-hmm. um, when it comes to mm-hmm. to this kind of thing. And I again, I think that's something that Restless can offer that a lot of big media companies um, can't. I mean, most women's media platforms are owned by uh, corporations that are led by white men. I mean, that their interest is not really in the needs of women, it's in the needs of advertisers. Um, and yeah. so we're kind of trying to offer a, 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 a different kind of platform that while I don't know if it's breaking the real wheel, it's it's breaking the wheel in that it is prioritizing women um, before anything else. Right. And I think a lot of other platforms are maybe afraid to go there. Don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that, you know, let's be honest, Restless is a business. You know, I do have to, you know, make revenue. I probably will do advertising. I, you know, I've done a little bit of it. Um, however, you know, our editorial direction is really not based on whether or not this company will like us if we do this or won't like us if we do that. Um, and so um, I know that that is kind of not exactly how other media platforms operate. And I think that's very, very mm-hmm. uh, something very valuable that we offer. So when did the app, there's now an app, um, when did yeah. that launch? Um, like two months ago. Yay! <laughs> it's awesome. I mean, I follow, I follow Restless on, on Instagram, but it's, it's really great. And this, I mean, would you say this app really can reach so many more people now? Absolutely. And I think that the app is really that kind of first idea seriously realized in a way that a traditional media platform can't do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's really important. And I'm what I'm actually really interested in now, again, is this kind of like cross- um, mentorship. It's not really about what Russell is telling you to do. It's about, you know, the community being able to say, Hey, like you have this problem and I know how to fix it. Like, let's, let's talk and like, let's be friends. And I, and I've got you. And I actually, I was really su- pleasantly surprised because I thought it would take a, a few months to know, you know, get the numbers up and get those conversations going. But they're actually, they started happening from the get go. And it's a really beautiful thing to see because again, it's never been about me. It's never really been about, you know, any type of agenda other than getting women, you know, help give, giving women support and, and really, you know, as cheesy as it may sound, empowering women through, you know, information and connection. I'm sorry. I'm just laughing at myself. That sounds so cheesy, but no, you know, it's true. Not cheesy. <laughs> Absolutely not. I mean, that's, I think more now than ever we need to, we need to connect as women. I mean, for years, we I see it all the time. You know, there's, and I've said this a bazillion times, there's women out there who I'm not particularly fond of, but I'm not about to break them down and say anything negative because right now we, we need to come together because women are super powerful. And I, I think that we haven't really tapped into that power yet. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of that has to do with a lot of the ways, you know, our society isolates us. Um, You know, everything that I went into earlier and, you know, in a number of other ways. And like, I mean, even when it comes to money, we have a money and work section on the app, you know, we're still kind of afraid to have these open conversations about money and how much do you charge if you're a freelancer or, you know, how to negotiate a raise with your with your boss. Um, and so, you know, it's not just about me too issues. It's about all of these kind of taboo subjects that, 
you know, are actually encompass the majority of women's lives that we're being told we're not supposed to talk about or that, okay, we're starting to talk about it, but it's just not at the level or we don't have the resources that we need to be able to really fully realize those conversations. Yeah. My husband tells me all the time, you have to stop apologizing. Um, I'm in a, it's a Facebook group for TV news women, women who are on, on the news and someone posted something about how to write an email like a boss. And the, the number one thing that women do all the time is that we start emails with, I'm sorry, but, or, you know, I, I am apologize. And it's just like, stop apologizing. Just ask what you want. Damn it. Yeah, for sure. But it's actually so much uh, easier said than done. Right. I mean, I literally have to stop myself saying, I'm sorry on a like hourly basis and Same. I still do it because I'm like, I don't want them to think that I'm rude. And yeah. And, and, and then, you know, you feel that this, you're uniquely having that problem, but actually no, so many people are experiencing that exact same thing, but you get stuck in your head thinking that you're the only person who can't stop saying, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's actually very normal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then you go, and then it's like, stop apologizing. And then you go, I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, stop apologizing for apologizing and like, all that good stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Um, so what's in the future, Olivia DeRamis? What's in the future for Restless? What do you see? What do you want? What are you hoping for? Well, yeah, I have big dreams for Restless. I got to say, um, I would love for Restless to be the go-to go place for women with a problem. I really want Restless to be able to solve your problems. You know, if your boyfriend isn't satisfying you in the bedroom, you know, you should be able to go to Restless and and find a resource for that and find women who have also been through that and can and can talk you through that problem. And I really want to do it on a big way. So our really our main priority right now as a company is really just getting in front of as many women as possible because um, we're really excited about the product that we have and, and developing it into a even more um, uh, helpful resource. So we, you know, we've got tons of resources, whether it's podcasts or videos or written articles, you know, our editorial site is still very active. You know, we're really, we're really just interested in, you know, being able to collect as many women as possible into this community, because I think that the more women who are there, the more helpful, um, this community is because, you know, Imagine having hundreds of or thousands. I mean, we're at the point where we're at, at thousands. You have thousands of women at your fingertips who've probably been through some really similar experiences. And honestly, like it, it makes me tear up. Especially, I mean, the heart of Restless is at these Me Too issues. And though the app isn't just about it, it's those Me Too conversations that are happening there. You know, wow. I mean, do I wish that I had that when I was younger? And I'm just really excited to provide this resource to other people and, and, and maybe kind of help fixing in my own way, you know, one small part of, of these very real problems that women face on a daily basis. Do you sit back and look at this and just go, oh my gosh, like, does your heart just almost <laughs> want to explode? This is, it's amazing. Yeah, it's cool. But I, I also think that, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, I guess I'm allowed to call myself yeah. that now. Um, it's you kind of get stuck in like the daily grind. And so you're waking up and you're like, oh, my God, I didn't do this, this, this and then this. And so it's, you know, it's it's very rare that you do step back. But yeah, I mean, like, this is one of those moments I, I never thought that I would be interviewed about what happened to me. I never thought that I would get that chance. And you know, every time someone actually wants to speak to me about my experience is 
so empowering and is also something that I know that most women do not get. And I just am always just so incredibly grateful for being heard after, you know, a long time of not, of not feeling that way. And that's really that no matter what happens that, 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 that luxury is something that I will never take for granted again, for sure. Amazing. I just, uh, we're going to wrap up just a little bit and get to the final three, but I wanted to read this. This is on, 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 online, on your website. Uh, yes, I was a victim, but you know what? Through that shitty time, I also had a lot of fun and adventure despite the trauma. Just because we sometimes have to face difficult things in our lives doesn't mean that there isn't room for joy, dancing, and even tequila. For me, finding joy was my ultimate rebellion. I hope with Re uh, Restless, you find yours too. That's so beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. That's amazing. And it's like, I think you were writing that for me because like joy, dancing, and tequila, check, 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 done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, like, I think this also goes back to like, um, well, this is a rabbit hole, but the idea of what you know, a victim of sexual assault looks like and, and what that looks Oh, no, you froze. Hold on. Right before we lost you, you said one of my favorite phrases, not to go down a rabbit hole. So please continue with the rabbit hole. <laughs> okay, well, um, I think that there is a very specific idea that we've been taught of like what a survivor is. And I think it actually can be very scary when you've just experienced an assault or something traumatic like that. And because you think, oh, that's it. My life is about to be, you know, a world of pain for a very long time. And I, I think that a part of what I'm trying to do is to show that, you know, you can be a survivor and still have these really fun experiences in life. And that's not to take away from the fact that you're going through something really awful, but you know, there is hope there and there is, you know, other really wonderful things still to life. And, um, I, and also the fact that, you know, sexual assault survivors date and they do all sorts of things. And I think that, you know, you know, the perception, I think that mm -hmm. that is very evasive. And I think it's important to really try to combat that. Find the joy, right? You got to find the joy. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that what, what it, it, that's what it comes down to. Um, for sure, even for, you know, survivors uh, ourselves in terms of having that hope, you know, going through something that terrible. And I think for kind of other people as well, um, in terms of how they perceive survivors, um, you know, there's a lot of awkwardness there for a lot of people and they don't really know how to talk about it. It makes them uncomfortable. Um, and so I think that the more we normalize talking about sexual assault and like the actual reality behind it, the good and, mm -hmm. and the still normal, um, you know, the better off, you know, everyone will be when, when it comes to these discussions. Yeah. We got to get uncomfy. We got to get a little bit uncomfy, I think. Yeah. Um, where can people tap into Restless? Where, where are the best places to go if they're looking for resources or they just want to check you out? So the app is the hub of all things helpful and restless. Okay. You can find uh, the app if you search Restless Network on Google and Android stores. You can also find us on social media channels at Restless Network and our editorial site at RestlessNetwork.com. Awesome. Love it. Um, I've been just, you know, I just found out about you a couple of weeks ago and I've absolutely been digging the app. Um, I follow you on Instagram. So... I'm, I'm, it's just, it's really, really cool. And it's such a great thing. 
Oh, thank you so much. It, it means a lot to hear that, um, you know, because we're still so new. So all positive <laughs> feedback really warms my heart. <laughs> good, good. Okay, let's get to the final three, my favorites. Uh, best advice you've ever been given? Um, yeah, so my, I've been really stressed out about work recently, <laughs> you know, and I think that the best advice that I have honestly ever been given is that, you know, it's really hard to separate yourself from your passion or your work or, you know, whatever it is that gets you up, um, you know, at the beginning of the day. But if you can do that, that really improves your quality of life. And so starting to do that and starting to kind of, you know, say, okay, if someone criticizes Restless, they're not actually criticizing me. That's been really good for me in terms of making sure that I can, you know, still be a happy person at the, at the end of the day, even if, you know, my work day was, was a little bit difficult. Right. Well, um, and I think it's a very basic thing, but wow, has it really made a difference for sure. I bet. I think when you have a passion like that, you live and die by it, right? So the tiniest little yeah. hiccup can ruin your day. And then the tiniest little success, you're like, I'm the king of the world. I mean, it's, it happens. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, being able to let that go mm -hmm. and emotionally distance yourself when it's appropriate and like needed is really is really key to be also being able to be an entrepreneur or a business owner or a creative or anything long term without, you know, totally burning out. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Uh, what's your happy place? Well, it's still California, I have to say, oh. even though, you know, some bad stuff happened there. Like I love, I love California. I'd love to go back there one day. So hopefully that happens. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, final meal, final drink. If that was given to you, what would that look like? Right. Um, tacos, <laughs> El Pastor and a margarita or anything with cheese. <laughs> <laughs> You're speaking my language right now with tacos and, and margaritas. <laughs> I love it. Um, Olivia DeRamus, thank you so much for bearing your soul and sharing your story and, I mean, just spilling your guts and putting it out there. It's such a huge thing. It's really scary for a lot of people, but thank you for doing that with me for the last hour. Thank you for having me. This is really enjoyable. Awesome. That's good. <laughs> That's good to know that it wasn't painful. <laughs> Um, if you are listening to this podcast on Apple's podcast app or Spotify, please subscribe, uh, rate and review. It helps other people find us. And you can also watch this on YouTube. Just search off script with Trish Gloss. One more time, Olivia DeRamus, the founder of Restless Network. Go find her, get some information and feel empowered. Thank you so much again. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.